I'm May Lily Lee. You're listening to American Spark. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Herkesin St. Patrick's Day'i kutlu olsun. Happy St. Patty's Day to you. Vodoresk on St. Patrick's Day fericit. You can't be a shut down person and be a writer. You got to stay curious and stay open to experience. That's Catherine Hankla, poet and professor at Hollins University, winner of a Penn Syndicated Fiction Award and the James Boatwright Prize for Poetry. Catherine has just released her latest book of poems, Galaxies. We have Catherine Hankla in the studio, and this happens to be St. Patrick's Day. I find that it's my favorite holiday. Why? (laughs) (laughs) No expectations, no pressure. Think about who expects to get a card on St. Patty's Day. And I note that we don't have any green beer here either. I don't drink, so that makes it more ironic that I love St. Patrick's Day, but I will take green dye and stick it in people's beers. We could have green water, especially since I'm 17% Irish, and I know this. From That's pretty good. The DNA test. I can't <laughs> wait to do the swab. I'm sure there's going to be a percentage there for me, too. Of? Irish. Oh, everybody has Irish. The only problem is that in celebration of St. Patrick's Day, I've told and told again every single year the McGregor joke until one day somebody said, May Lily, that's Scottish. (laughs) Well, that's just what everybody finds out. They think they're Irish and they find out they're Scottish or they think they're Scottish and then they find out they're really Irish. And it often explains everything. Do you want me to bring out a couple of my Irish jokes? And hopefully they're not Scottish. Well, I wouldn't know the difference. Okay, so here we go. What do you call an Irishman on a couch? Mm. Patio furniture. Here's one that relates to your getting here to the it's studio. It's Paddy, not Patty, <laughs> by the way. Paddy. Stop knocking with jokes. Here's one that relates to your getting to the studio today. So Billy and Seamus are on the phone to each other. And Billy's in Dublin, and he's trying to get to Cork. You know, I'm from Dublin. Seriously? That 17% is from Dublin? No, no, no. It's one of my hometowns. Dublin, Virginia. You know, there's one in every state a Dublin. And we will talk a little bit about your background as well, but I think most of this podcast will be about my Irish jokes. Oh, yeah, I know. But that's the only interesting thing that I could interject into the Irish conversation <laughs> is that, that, that for seven years I lived in Dublin. Billy was asking Seamus, about the quickest way to get from Dublin to Cork. Seamus, on the other end of the phone, says, Are you going by car or are you on foot? And Billy says, I'm in the car. He says, That's the quickest way. <laughs> <laughs> so, the other part that I'm going to spare you, Catherine, is that I love doing these in an Irish brogue. And you notice that I didn't because I've also been told that I sound Indian. Oh, I thought you sound very Irish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lily. Who told you that? The feedback comes every year. Oh, they're so wrong. They're so (laughs) wrong. And I should know because I'm from Dublin. You were born in the Appalachian Mountains. Right, right, right. I know that that grew for you a love of the outdoors, of nature, and that's infused in your work. You know, I don't know if it comes from that or not, but I did roam around a lot outdoors. But I, I come from unstructured childhood, which is something that people don't relate to anymore. We just got put out the front door and told to come back at dinner time. <laughs> basically. When you weren't in school, you were outdoors because your mother was busy doing things inside and they didn't want the kids in there. So 
We got to go roam around and make trouble and ride bikes and dig holes and get poison ivy. And the outdoors is still, it's really important to me. And I, I feel like it does inform my work so much. But unfortunately, now when I write about nature, I, I realize that people don't really relate to it in the way that I do. They think they're seeing nature when they walk by a tree in the city. You know what I mean? It's just like there's not that much opportunity for a lot of people to really uh, feel their bodies in the air and on the land as we're supposed to be as human beings. So I feel like now when I write about nature, I'm writing about something that's disappearing. That's what poets like to do anyway. They like to write about longing. So I'm longing for nature. You remind me of Fran Leibowitz who said, the outdoors is what you have to go through to get to a cab. (laughs) Yeah, that's miserable, isn't it? You were in the fourth grade. Your teacher asked you to write a poem, all of you. You spent hours on it, came back, and were accused of some sort of plagiarism. It was so good. Well, what I was accused of was having my mother write it. Uh, And that was very puzzling to me because I I wasn't particularly proud of my poem. I just spent a lot of time on it. And so I just turned it in. And then we had to stand up and read them all. So I stood up and read it. And... uh, I remember a little bit from it, but I don't remember the whole poem. I, Deep in the den where the fire is hot, I hear the sound of the striking clock. So that was, you know, my magnum opus in this poem. And and I, I was just getting ready to go back to my seat, and um, I'll say her name because I know she's gone by now, Miss Reed, who was terrifying and had a little French poodle named Pierre uh, in horn rim glasses. Um, she said, come back here. And so I did, and she said, who wrote that? And I said, I did. And she said, your mother wrote that. And I said, no, she didn't. So I spent the rest of the day having kids pull me aside and say, well, why didn't you just tell her that your mother wrote it? Because my mother wrote mine. (laughs) (laughs) And then I felt really out of it because my mother had not written mine, nor would she have ever written anything for school because that was a, a very strong line in the household. Mother did not do your homework for you. For a lot of folks, that would have been the defining moment by which you would never try to write a poem again. Well, maybe. Maybe not. You know, I I think that was a moment when I discovered I was good at something. And it really didn't matter what she thought. I think that's the most important thing. You've got to and figure out what you're successful at. So now we arrive at Galaxies, which is your ninth book of poetry. It really didn't start off as a book of poems. Galaxies started out as a series of paintings. The The paintings were coming out of titles, which I, I thought were kind of curious, like the pen cushion universe and absolute zero um, universe, things like that. And then um, I thought, well, I'll just look up some of these and see if they're real. And then it turned out some of them were real. And then I thought, well, dang it, I better write some poems. I better write some galaxy poems. And then the poems, of course, took over. And I guess visual art is just another genre for me, like the difference between fiction and poetry and nonfiction. And then there's visual art. So I just kind of go back and forth. But I just have to say, my real life is art. Do you mind reading No Galaxy from the book? Oh, you like the heavy ones, don't you? 
No Galaxy. In the No Galaxy, a poem waits to be written, a hen sits an egg that won't hatch, pies never cool in the safe, and hay is neither cut nor baled, it merely grows in the No Galaxy. We were never friends. I neglected to welcome you in. You never called again or even once. There's nothing to see but a small pinpoint diminishing from a bomb not dropped, from a biplane disappeared. We were never here. Thus, with air, trees, water, and breeze, oh, the sea does foam against the shore and a pelican plop Sea ducks dive and bottom up, yet, in the larger sense, nothing happens. Back in the countryside, no trout, no pole, no lure, no hole, no camping, no chimp in space, no composure, no curiosity, no rain, not a cloud, nothing doing, not on my watch, not perfect, not in my backyard, marriage not, no sound in the forest, mystery solved, children not, country not, no pain. When you're imagining a poem, do you visualize it on the page? Or does the sense of what you want to convey come to you without any visuals attached? When I'm Working on a poem, usually what comes to me is something sonic, something in the mind's ear. And then I take that language and put it down where I can see it, and I start tinkering with it. And sometimes the phrasing suggests whether or not it's going to be um, in a certain shape. But most of the time, I just keep revising and tinkering and following the trajectory of that language, that first impulse that I got, which comes to me as a line or a phrase or an idea that's already in some language. I don't really work from a concept into language. It already has words when I start. To echo what you asked me earlier about St. Patty's Day being my favorite holiday, why? Why poetry? What is it about the poem? Poems are just mesmerizing to me. I think one thing about them is that there's no steady definition of a poem. And although people continue to write in closed forms and with rhyme and all the things that we associate with poetry, poetry doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean a persona. It can mean a character speaking. It can mean all the traditional things and also a lot of rhetorical urgencies in poetry. I love poetry because it's so wide open. Speaking of this, I recommend Catherine's book, Fortune Teller Miracle Fish. It's a series of short stories, and it is written with a poet's eye. Do you feel your poetry writing informs the novel writing or the short story writing? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not two different writers, Right. I'm just one writer um, with a lot of crossing out. <laughs> it does come up from working word by word in a poem that when you write longer forms, it can be agonizing to the poet within you because you want everything that you write 
to be as crafted as a line in a poem. Also, it makes me a fairly slow prose writer who writes many, many drafts of things. I mean, occasionally I'm expanding when I do revision, especially to add scene instead of summary and that kind of thing, which is part of the craft of writing fiction. But inevitably, I'll go back and uh, start crossing things out because I, I think particularly in short stories, people already know how to read them, you know, and short stories are in their own uh, vernacular language. They have the, their form is already very compressed. And so readers are actually looking for that kind of compression in a story. They don't want you to have a long conversation between two characters that's meandering. You really just want to cut it down. And if if the character's not saying something that expresses two things at once, I always tell my students the character needs to be saying something that's very in the voice of that character that moves the characterization forward. And they also need to be saying something that moves the story forward. It can't just be one or the other. It's got to be both. Will you read Invasion also from Galaxies? Oh, you like funny ones. I feel like this is not so much that I'm asking you to read poems. <laughs> this is a psychological exam. Of you? Of me. Okay, good. Because my own poems are starting to look like ink blots here. Invasion. I fear ants in my food. They terrorize with quizzical patterns, tiny hammers, wood screws. They invite freeloaders to freckle my floors, doorways, drains, banana skins, bare toes. I cripple some ants. I don't mean to, but I do. Others I squash flat, leaving one liquid dot beneath each creature like a wandering third eye, an omega cast mark. I slip ten corpora delecti into a business envelope, bless them, seal their paper tomb with kisses tiny and wet, iron the paste with my fist, address it to the federation of what doesn't return. I know that the bulk of your work is teaching at Hollands, and that means fostering new poets and new writers. Absolutely. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I've had such great students over the years, and uh, it's an extension of what I love. It's obviously not the same as writing, right? Uh, but in order to um, really help somebody with their poems, you have to be a, an analytical reader, which is something that you're not doing when you're writing. It's, you know, you're really using different capacities. Uh, when I teach, I'm very much in analytical mode because I'm trying to figure out what the writer is doing when they don't always yet know. <laughs> and then I get there before they do and try to urge them toward that line that I see that they can uh, come up to and surpass. So it's it's very invigorating work. And um, it's also exhausting because like most writers, I'm very much an introvert. So when I go to work, I'm an introvert performer. 
Um, but in these conversations, especially with my graduate poets, we really get out there sometimes into um, the possibilities of, of poetry with the understanding always that it's never used up, right? Every person who brings themselves to it and really submits to the rigors of language and stays with poetry, there's a place for them to do their best work. And I find that very exciting. We should not pigeonhole you as a poet or even as a writer because you're also a visual artist as well. And I remember watching a wonderful documentary about Grant Ackett's, the renowned chef from Chicago, who was talking about taking a trip to Europe and seeing this amazing art that inspired his cooking. Perhaps there's something bigger that influences you. Bigger and smaller. (laughs) I'm just like a big sensitive mechanism, I guess, like most people. I just, everything influences me. And I um, sometimes get exhausted by being so open. (laughs) I I don't know if that makes sense to most people. My antenna are pretty out there. And so I usually have several books going at once on different subjects. I've got a stack of poetry books at home right now that I'm working my way through. I've got a couple of crazy books about our homegrown psychic Casey, this novel, The Sympathizer, I'm I'm reading. It's not so much what it is. It's just your attitude toward it. You can't be a shut-down person and be a writer. you got to stay curious and stay open to experience. That's Catherine Hankla, poet, writer. Her latest book of poetry just out, titled Galaxies. Find out more at katherinehankla.com. Mm-hmm.